Welcome back, friends, to the Mark Claire Show. My God, is there any better way to start your week than with me? I hope not. Uh, well, I hope so, actually. <laughs> it might say a lot more about you than it does about me, to be honest. But we're going to start our week right with another great conversation today on the Mark Claire Show. And I'm starting it right because you know what this is? If you're watching the video, this is an empty coffee thermos. It's empty because I just finished my, it's actually my second one, to be honest, my second mug of Fox and Sons coffee. My God, I don't know if I could do this show at this point if I didn't have Fox and Sons in my life. My Den Blend Dark, it is part of my morning ritual. I don't start a day without it. If I do, I did actually at one point because I went home to Connecticut. I had to go visit my parents and I did not have my my Den Blend Dark. I ended up actually, I'm ashamed to say this, I ended up going to Starbucks and yeah, you know, maybe I got a pumpkin spice or something. We don't need to get into that, but I am ashamed of it. It just wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as starting my day with a cup of my Den Blend Dark from Fox and Sons. But they got a bean for everybody. They got pea berries. They got Tasmanian pea berries, Brazilian honey berries. They got all, I know, I, I think nothing I said was an actual name of a berry or a bean because the point is you got to go over it. You got to read this stuff, all right? I don't read. I just talk. That's why I'm here. You go to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. This is what you're going to do. You're going to pick out a bag or two. You're going to know that you're going to love these coffee beans and you're going to love them even more because you're going to get 18% off, 18% off by using my code that I give to you exclusively to anyone who stumbles upon this podcast. Discount code MCS, think Mark Claire show. Once again, great sponsor, been a sponsor since nearly the very beginning of the show and a great product. So I'm very happy to tell you about Stephen Fox, the company that he started with his sons to teach them about entrepreneurship and relive the love of coffee that he shared with his father growing up. Does that game make you warm and fuzzy? You're going to be even more warm and fuzzy when you're actually drinking some fine Fox and Sons coffee. So head over to foxnsons.com, use discount code MCS at checkout. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Aiden Mattis of The Lore Lodge. My guest today is the main man over at the Lore Lodge, which you can find on YouTube and in podcast form. He is the Lore Lodge, as, as he told me before the show. I'm very pleased to welcome Aiden Mattis. Aiden, welcome to my show. Yes, thank you for having me on. I am, to be quite, to be perfectly clear, I am one half of the Lore Lodge, but I'm the one who's usually on camera. Uh, my buddy Aiden Thornbury is the, the editor, the producer behind everything. He makes me look very pretty. And that's uh, that's what's important. No, nope. well, there you go. I also apologize for the fact the sun seems to be directly in front of my lens right now. You know, now. it's it's will move out of the way. The heavens are shining upon this conversation. Yeah, that, that's exactly, the way I'm going right? to look at it. But uh, <laughs> Aiden, before we get into you know some of the subjects I have on my mind to, to bat your way that you've uh, been digging into on your podcast, want to get a little more of your own background. So I'll let you take it from wherever you think makes the most sense. Tell us a little bit about yourself and really how you took interest in a lot of the subjects that you guys talk about over at the Lore Lodge, uh, paranormal, folklore, all that weird kind of stuff. Sure. So to, you know, to give you the, the really quick version of the very beginning, I've been interested in like the ghost hunting TV shows and stuff like that since I was a little kid. Grew up on uh, ghost hunters and all of that stuff. Paranormal State was one of my favorite TV shows. So growing up, I always had that sort of background of being interested in this kind of thing. And then I got into college and I went for medieval history. I have a medieval studies degree as well as a, a set of minors, uh, one of which is religious studies. Specifically, that was Judeo-Christian uh, scripture. And then I I got out of college and started working a marketing gig and was still interested in this stuff and decided to go back to graduate school to get a, a further degree. And while I was you know, waiting for, for grad school to start, I was kind of doing my last few days of my job and I was on TikTok scrolling through. 
And I saw a video that was, you know, what's a conspiracy theory you can't prove but 100% believe in? And I had recently started to learn about the whole missing 411 thing, the people who go get lost in the national parks and, you know, either they never, they're never found or they're found under really s- strange circumstances. Started to think about that. And I was thinking about some of the folklore stuff I remembered from back when I was interested in all this paranormal stuff. And I was like, ah, well, you know, there's the, the Wendigo and the Skinwalker and Bigfoot and all these different things that seem really similar uh, that are supposed to live out in the, the wilds of America. And I started to formulate this little conspiracy theory that maybe the National Park Service was founded to research or contain uh, paranormal phenomena. And it was it was kind of a goofy little conspiracy theory with a, a few bits and pieces that made me think, you know, okay, maybe there is a version of this that is true. Maybe Teddy Roosevelt actually did think there was Bigfoot. Uh, because there is this weird story he has about a hunter named Bauman out in the mountains of Idaho or Montana, who comes across a bear that was walking on two legs and killed his friend. I, I can go into more detail on that if you if you want. But so I started to see all these stories uh, coalescing into one general theme and made a video and people wanted me to talk more about it. So I did. And that led to me doing more and more research, which led me a, a ways out of the, uh, you know, believing that something legitimately, genuinely paranormal was going on with some of these phenomena and more towards the idea that like maybe there are parts of our history that are missing which got me interested in the graham hancock stuff and uh you know the younger dryas period basically rabbit holes just start leading to rabbit holes yeah and i've been listening to joe rogan since i was in college so of course and i was primarily listening to him you know with jordan peterson and ben shapiro and stephen crowder and all those guys because I was in college Republicans and you're Americans for Liberty. And I just found that stuff interesting. And then I came across, you know, the Graham Hancock stuff and Randall Carlson. And I, I found that very, very fascinating. And so I guess kind of what you can, what you could very much describe our work as now is all that weird stuff. Joe Rogan has people on to talk about. We dig into that and we try and get to, we, we try and dig up as many facts as possible and create the most interesting, not create the most interesting, but I, uh, I guess create interesting content that tells you both the facts and gets you interested in something that's a, myster- a mysterious topic. So we don't want to come at you with something that's, you know, oh, there's uh, the the lizard aliens built the pyramids. We're not going to do that to you. What, what but you're I not find saying interesting, they didn't, I, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it, it's kind clear. of that thing, though. It's But there's some truth in that, which is we're not going to tell you that the lizard people built the pyramids. But we're also not going to tell you that the current model for how the pyramids were built is absolutely fundamentally the truth and there's no possibility that it can be wrong because it could be. So we're kind of bridging that gap between it's settled science and complete conspiracy, you know, atlas obscura kind of stuff. Oh, I love the idea of... uh forming this whole brand essentially around one specific conspiracy theory that you just really dug into and kept kind of expanding on. Because I I think in a similar vein, ever since I was a kid, I think, I always started to look at conspiracies in my mind anyway, almost like the big, you know, the big board. I'm always trying to put it all together, you know, in my mind. I I don't think that has ever changed. The Charlie Day (laughs) name. exactly. (laughs) I don't think that's ever changed. So every time I have a, you know, do a show about a specific subject, in my mind, I'm I'm connecting dots to other episodes I've done. Even if, even when it, when it's not necessarily something paranormal, because um, you mentioned as well too, studying religion uh, or more, you know, I guess, I guess folklore, religion. There's a there's a lot of overlap there in some sense. But um, I'm curious how your own religious views may have evolved over that time, and and how you see that fitting in, if if it fits in at all, to your your kind of grander theory that you were yeah. developing. 
So it was, this whole thing was the same thing for me. And to be clear, I don't believe anymore that there are Wendigos stalking the national parks. Like that's, that's some stuff that I was leaning very heavily on early on. I've come around to a, some more interesting conclusions in my opinion than straight up the supernatural because there's just all these implications about human history and how long we've been in the Americas and all of that. Uh, so, you know, were, were we really the first people to colonize America after the Native Americans got here or were there people there before them? That kind of interesting thing. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of following all of these different threads. You know, I'd come across a new thing. Oh, well, at Roanoke the, or at Jamestown, they recorded that the Native Americans talked about hunting apes in the mountains, but there haven't been non-human primates in North America for 26 million years. So what's that mean? It was those little threads that I kept pulling on. And I think that the the study of religion that I had gone through in college really helped me with that. Because when you are looking at uh, at Christian scripture, and I was raised Christian, I went to college and became more Christian um, when studying religion. It often and goes I, the other way when not, you go to college. So that's, that's surprising. It often goes the other way around. I had some very good professors of religious studies. Uh, a lot of them were actually Orthodox Christians, which I think are probably the best Christian teachers out there. Uh, would be in the Orthodox community. I myself am Methodist, so I'm I'm not tooting my own horn at all here. Just the Orthodox priests and scholars that I have known have been some of the best read scholars I've known on Christianity. And often bear amazing beards, so, you know. Oh, yeah, great beards. Uh, but I, I became stronger in my faith, and then the thing was, as I was, as I was looking into this stuff, you know, I think there's this general idea that is based in the 1980s kind of satanic panic version of Christianity that we're all pearl clutching, that we don't believe in anything supernatural unless it's demonic, I, uh, you know, all, all of that kind of thing, that anything that is not good Christian biblical stuff must be demons. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, I think that I, I do believe in, in demons. I think there's evil spirits out there. I, it would be weird if I called myself a Christian and didn't. Um, but when you look at that and the and then you look at the scientific stuff, you know, we're starting to see evidence that maybe the universe does not function the way we thought it does, that there might be multiple universes, that there might be multiple dimensions that are accessible, that are interacting with ours at any given moment. And I'm not, this is not woo-woo stuff. This is like the stuff CERN is researching. And I'm not going to give you specific versions of things. I'm just going to tell you that, yes, this is the kind of stuff that's being tossed about. It's not settled science. It's not consensus. It's just the stuff the community is talking about is uh, time dilation and gravitational anomalies. Are black holes what we think they are? Could there be more ways of understanding time and space than the current three dimensions that we have? So when you look at the fact that they're researching that, and then you look at the scripture and what is kind of the same about scripture all around the world, some of these stories of these beings who could kind of flicker in and out of our existence at will, who maybe appeared in methods we didn't totally understand, there's some tie-ins with real physics, with real real science that goes beyond just trying to draw little, you know, tenuous connections in the the evolutionary sciences where, you know, Christians have kind of over time tried to, as we're stumbling backwards from new scientific discoveries that are knocking off years of church doctrine, we try to we try to immediately weave it in and make it work. And I don't think that's the way to do it. I think we need to often step back and completely reframe how we understood something. Because th there are observable facts about the universe. There are also things about the universe that really can't be explained by known science. And I think that religion falls somewhere in the middle of those two, where I think that there, there are supernatural forces that we don't understand. And one day, maybe we will 
be able to track down exactly how the the divine, so to speak, uh, however you want to, to quantify that, interacts with us on a physical level. We might someday figure it out because I think the I forget who it's attributed to, but the quote that you know anything, I. Uh, Anything, any sufficiently advanced scientific technology will simply appear as I believe magic. it's Asimov, but it could be Arthur C. Clarke. I think it's so. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those two, but that's the, that's kind of how I'm looking at it as, as a religious person is I don't see the discovery of some sort of scientific, uh, the, the way something works. I don't see that necessarily as disproving the existence of a God or a creator or a supernatural realm. I think it's just science is the understanding of God's creation and how it functions and works. And that's how I've come to understand, um, you know, the scientific stuff that I've come across, the stuff that maybe challenges the way I was raised to view the supernatural realm as a Christian. Um, and I think it's made me generally more more open, but also more certain of my faith. It is interesting what you said there, and I've been on both sides of this. You could say um, when when you dig more into science and and how things work, and you start to see the complexity of of and the mystery of how so much so many things you know in our universe work. I, I, there are kind of two directions you can go, and I have gone both directions in different phases of my life. You can go, oh yeah, this this is how it works. It's not God. I just we can see how it and the, the whatever the, the particles do this, and we know how it works. Which to me now anyway, that just tells me. Well, that's even more complex of a creation, and that makes it all the more awe-inspiring and and more impressive. And then yep. I'm a little bit more on that side now, but you really could take it either way. Exactly, and I've I've seen people go both directions with it. You know, for me and I, you know, I have a few buddies who are also content creators who are very firm Christians. You know, it's it's been that journey of, well, this is all really weird and doesn't make sense. I'm going to dive into it and see where I end up. And for a lot of us, it has ended up with like, oh, okay, I get I get what this was, I get how this works. In some ways, I mean, depending on who's doing it and how you're coming at it, um, the look digging into science and the how things work and trying to understand faith and religion, they're they're part of the same quest ultimately. It's really just to put it simply, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, <laughs> and and part of the problem with it is that a lot of people out there were raised with religion, and the version they were raised with was that that mainline, you know, basically the the derived from Catholic version of things where you you don't look into a ton of that esoteric stuff that's in the bible you don't look into you know there, there's 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 little little lines that are almost viewed as throwaway lines in the bible where god is talking about his divine counsel and the people and and the the beings ruling with him and it's definitely not talking about us it is not talking about us after we've died there is some other some other divinity up there with him and um michael heiser is probably the best guy to listen to for this. I'm just poorly restating his words. Uh, he was, he recently died. He was an absolutely incredible biblical uh, Hebrew scholar. Some of the best lectures on divinity that I've ever seen. But what he points out in a lot of these is, yes, Christianity is a, and Ju Christianity and Judaism are monotheistic religions in that there is one creative divine God who is all powerful. But then there's these other kind of like deputy divinities that he seems to have, which are typically referred to as angels, but we don't have a firm that nobody has really taught a firm understanding of what angels are growing up as a Christian. You know, if, if I were to, if I were to ask you, I don't know particularly what your journey with faith or lack of faith has been, but what, what are angels to you? Just for a quick, a uh, quick journey, I was I was raised Jewish, and so I mm -hmm. learned the Old Testament and all that stuff. Was probably atheistish, uh, you know, yeah. agnostic-ish, in a lot of, and you know, maybe for a decade or so. And 
then kind of went through a exploring religions phase and finding the value in it. And I wouldn't say I hold a particular religion, but I have certainly come to uh, respect the Orthodox because I've sure. had a lot of people Orthodox. And I, I, I'm coming to understand that view more because for a long time, I put Christianity aside because I thought I already knew all that because, oh yeah, it's Judaism plus there's Jesus at the end. You know, I didn't really realize it's a little more a, complicated. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I, that's what I've been learning more about because I actually, it's really intriguing when I, when I realize it's not what I thought when I was a kid. It's just tacking on Jesus sure. on top. It's a little a little bit more yeah. than that, like you said. If you if you don't mind, if I shamelessly plug myself for a second, we Go have a, I do have a show called the Weird Bible Podcast that okay. goes into a lot of this stuff. So if you cool. are, if anybody, and it's not a Christian podcast, it's a podcast mm-hmm. about Christianity by Christians, but it's not a podcast necessarily for Christians. It's for anybody who's interested. So uh, I do that, that with, uh, with Wendigoon is the YouTuber I do that with. Uh, but yeah, so so out of curiosity, then when you were growing up Jewish, what was your understanding of angels? Oh, gee, I don't know. That's a good question. I probably, I mean, it's not really something that's talked about in the Jewish religion, uh, not not actively anyway. Um, I'm sure there are perhaps mentions in the Old Testament, but in terms of my own uh, religious upbringing, going to Hebrew school and that sort of thing, I can't really say angels was ever discussed at all. But in my own my own sort of, you know, what I've gleaned I says, as more of an adult, I, w- I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, you like you said, God has these angels, and what's I, I guess was never clear to me. Maybe I just presumed yeah. it, but it's not clear if God created the angels or if they're just there. But I, okay. I think that is the assumption anyway that a lot of Christians have is that He created the angels. Exactly, it's that they're basically these these just simple servants of God. They're neither human nor God Himself. They are just His servants. That is the version of it I was raised with. Angels don't have free will. They do as God is told. That's what makes them different from us: is that we have free will and they don't. See, I thought it, they did have free will, and that was do. that was the problem with Lucifer because he's they like, do. "Hey, okay, all right." Yeah, so you're, you're saying that's more the the glossed over version of Christianity. Exactly. That a lot of learn. I see. Okay. Exactly is that version where it's, "Oh, well, angels—they're just God's servants. They're His mm-hmm. messengers. That's right, it. Right, right. They just come that's down with the harp and like you know carry people yep. off or whatever. They Be not afraid. Uh, <laughs> that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so much more complicated than that. And then there's all the added difficulty of a lot of Christians have the the uh, Paradise Lost version of Lucifer's fall mm-hmm. in their heads instead of the biblical version. Paradise Lost, uh, you know, unless you're going to consider Milton a prophet, which some might, you, you might make that argument, um, but unless you're going to consider him a prophet, Paradise Lost is basically Christian fan fiction. Uh, and my, my buddy Wendigoon has an amazing uh, video on Paradise Lost that goes through the whole thing if, if you're interested in that. But they the angels are the angel is like a job description almost what they really are when when you look at the words that are used in hebrew often you get spirits you get princes you do sometimes get a word that translates more directly to angel but angel of course is a a greek word it's a greek term as is demon angel and demon are both come from greek words not the words that are used in the hebrew and the hebrew uses different words for various types of demons and angels there's seraphim there's cherubim what are these? What do they do? They have different roles. Cherubim seem to be these warrior guardians. Seraphim seem to be, uh, you know, more of the the way we think of the archangel Michael. And then there's the concept of archangels in the first place is entirely Christian Catholic. It's not in the Jewish text. Michael is referred to as the chief prince at one point, or at a few points actually. But that's I. Uh, that's not him being the archangel. There's not a classification of those. There's just these angels who seem to get mentioned more frequently than others. And what I found interesting about reading about Michael specifically, uh, in the book of Daniel, I think it's Daniel uh, chapter, I want to say chapter 7, an angel appears to Daniel. 
and basically, you know, is like, Daniel, you've been such a great servant. The Lord is with you. I am with you. I'm sorry it took me so long to get here. I was held up by the prince of Persia, and I had to wait for the chief prince to come and help me out. And then there's a little bit about how the, the prince of Persia will fall and the prince of Greece will be ushered in. And I think a lot of people have looked at him and like, oh, it's a prophecy about Alexander. Or it might have been written later and it's a callback to Alexander. It might be, there might be a double entendre there or it might be a prophecy about Alexander. But at the same time, it's very clear that one of the meanings here is that the angel who was sent to Daniel to reassure him was held up fighting with the angel in charge of Persia. And he would, it, it was- I'm still hung up on an angel yeah. getting held up. <laughs> well, they're fighting each other, basically. Right. Is this, this is spiritual warfare that's going on here. And the, only, the reason that the angel was able to get to Daniel in the first place was that the chief prince interceded on his behalf. The chief prince being the archangel Michael. So that in and of itself, if you explain it to people, they have a million questions because there was so much that is earth shattering there for the average Protestant or Catholic Christian. Is that the kind of thing that's just kind of glossed over then when most people would, you know... It's not just glossed over, it's not discussed. And it's in the Bible. And these are legitimate interpretations. This is not out there. And this is the kind of stuff that if you sit down and you talk to priests about it, they will have these conversations with you if you approach them with this knowledge. Mm -hmm. They might argue with you on some aspects of it, but they understand this. This is knowledge that they were taught in seminary. Interesting. But it... It's really difficult to impart that to an audience that is hearing you speak for an hour every week. Do you think there's an attitude in, in the, the church or in general or with, with a lot of priests like that? I don't know that where it's like, we don't need to go into all this stuff with them. Like they they kind of have the ideas about the knowledge, but it's like, hmm, we see each other an hour in a week. Why get, why get too deep? Why not just leave them you feeling can, good about stuff and, and not think about angels warring or whatever it may be? You can, you can see it in the councils as it goes on through history. One of the things that was really cool about getting a medieval studies degree was that a huge part of that was simply the history of the Catholic Church. Because the medieval period starts with the fall of Rome and it ends with the Reformation. It ends with the Wars of the Roses, basically. Um, which is 20 years after the Reformation. So, in fact, the wars, the, well, the end of the Wars of the Roses. Uh, Bodsworth Field, I think, is the one I'm thinking of. Um... But you see the entire history of the Catholic Church as it goes from being the church in Rome to the primary imperial power in Europe to behind the scenes. You know, it's actually a very fascinating story, just the history of the Catholic Church. But I, you can see it in these councils as they talk about how are they going to canonize? How are they going to teach this lesson? What do we think about, you know, was this parable or was this factual? You can see them discussing it and coming to conclusions. And one thing that becomes clear is there is a massive, complicated body of knowledge about Christian theology. And then there is what they determined was important for you to know to save your soul. So the stuff you get in church, that is how we think you should be a good person, like what we think it means to be a good person. What do you need to know to save your soul? What does the congregation need right now? Those are basically the big three things that churches each now. And it's not seven hour podcasts about, no. you know, about the intricacies of divine councils or whatever. So if, if you want to learn about that stuff, you have to go further, but you'll find that when you go further, the people that you're listening to are Christians. They're not, these are not atheists or pagans or Muslims or Zoroastrians who are writing about Christianity, trying to discount it or looking at it as if it's fake. 
These are other Christians who have studied this work extensively and come to the conclusion that there's more here than just God, Satan, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Three of those are good. One of those is bad. Like that's, There's so much more to it. So how much has that, that thought, that concept, not just about angels, but maybe about how that might lead to other types of divine beings or just beings we don't understand, how much has that uh, sort of worked its way into how you filter a lot of the conversations you might see about Wendigos or Bigfoot or sure. fairies or whatever kind of stuff you look into? Yeah. So I think a lot of a lot of what we see in the paranormal space, as a Christian, I look at and I, I see demons. Demon covers a a wide range of things. Uh, most most things that people attribute to ghosts, in my opinion, also covered by demon. Um, what is a demon? More complicated. If you go back to the the Judeo Christian version of things, a demon is a an evil spirit that is neither that is not human. So, fallen angels is one interpretation. That if you look at you know that there's that all of these beings between God and man are angels so to speak for for lack of a better term spirits that the demons are the spirits that have departed from god and chosen the darkness chosen personal endeavors chosen to serve a different master uh you know something like that obviously we know that satan has some pull in bible and he's supposedly got some you know some some angels might choose to go serve lucifer some angels might strike out on their own decide to do their own thing and be powerful for their own right uh, we we can tell from the Bible that there are these instances where there are other divinities that are talked about that people genuinely believe in that may even have power. It's just God can overwhelm them at any time if he so chooses. That's kind of the way that this works. So when the you question go, you, there, just to jump in, does, what they often get from not necessarily atheists, but maybe just people that are skeptical, skeptical about the sort of thing. They'll say, well, why would God not always intervene against a bad spirits doing bad things. If he created them, why not just be like, oops, these these are bad. Snap them out of existence. Yes. Let me let me really quickly finish up answering the first part of the sure, question, then sure. I will jump into that because it's a, a connected answer. Um so when it comes to things like the Wendigo, well at first I was I was like, all right, what is this? Is this a demonic entity that influences people and causes them to have cannibalistic wishes? Look deeper into it. There are there is certainly a belief about that. Uh, way back in Algonquin folklore. But the Wendigo, as we know it, the the individual person who becomes a Wendigo, that is not the, the same as the supernatural entity and spirit. There is a belief in Algonquin culture that if you that the only reason a person could possibly commit the taboo of cannibalism is if they were possessed by an evil spirit. So it's that you're possessed by the spirit. Therefore, you commit cannibalism. But if you read some of the accounts of actual Wendigo executions from the 1700s that were written by British and French explorers, what you find is that it's typically a regular human being who was starving and forced to eat another person. And the natives believe that once you do that, you will always have a craving for flesh. And therefore, the only solution is to kill the person. Otherwise, they'll kill others. So that's kind of what the Wendigo is. I started finding this more and more, that a lot of these supernatural things felt more like uh, either demonic or angelic influence and then human behavior. 
I have rarely come across something at this point where I was like, that genuinely does not seem to be explicable by one of these two things. So the two main categories you think you find all this stuff falling mm -hmm. into, or maybe, maybe it's not always part. clear which it is, but yeah, ultimately exactly. it does seem like one or the other. Yeah. And then there is, of course, you know, the possibility of, uh, you know, I think that Celtic folklore often kind of gets, but because of Wicca, it gets looked at as being this kind of woo-woo fairies running around and witchcraft thing. It's not. Their version of fairies in the ancient Celtic folklore sounds a lot like angels, <laughs> sounds a lot like demons. It's other human beings or humanoid beings. In some cases, they are, in fact, human. Part of the problem here is that we only have Christianized versions because it was Christian monks recording the stories because the Celts didn't write anything down, even though they had a writing system. The Druids just refused. Uh there's more to that, but that's the basics of it. Um, so their version of fairies are these uh, these otherworldly beings that go through these underground portals into the other world. That's what the fairies are. And then there's this, the term fairy broadly came to describe all supernatural entities, be it goblins, ogres, whatever. They're all the faithful, you know? Um, that's kind of the, I believe that developed more into the medieval period. But I uh, to to circle back to whatever the other question was because it's now escaped my mind. Here I can I can give it re the real short version. Sure. If God, why bad spirit? <laughs> Great. I uh, when God created humans, if you if you read the Bible, when God created humans, we had no we we had free will, but we had no sickness, we had no death, we had no want, we had no hunger, we basically had you no know, we couldn't die. We're in the Garden of Eden. We're perfect. Everything around us is fine. There is one rule. Do not eat the apple. If you eat the apple, you will gain knowledge of good and evil. And if you gain knowledge of good and evil, you will not be protected here. That's the one rule, right? So humans from the start have free will and they have perfection. They have no need to look for anything else. They still eat the apple. So humans chose to know good and evil. Humans chose to know sickness and death. Humans chose to know hunger and and, uh, and war. You know, that's the, that is the scriptural answer. Is that at the very dawn of time, human beings chose to understand these things. And therefore, we chose to be affected by them. So when you look at why does little Timmy have cancer, technically, the scriptural answer is because Eve ate the apple. In a very, very simple way of putting it, but what that breaks down to is, is the sins of the father are passed on to the son. Yes, that, that terminology makes it sound like if your dad commits adultery, you also will go to hell. That's not really what's going on here. What's really going on here is your uh, great-great-grandfather chose to emigrate across the ocean. He put down roots here, but he decided to spend all of his money on a gold mining venture that didn't pan out. As a result, your great-grandfather was impoverished. Because your great-grandfather was impoverished, he turned to a life of crime, and he managed to make some money enough to send you to school. Uh, or to send your grandfather to school. Your grandfather went to school, but he didn't have any of the support system he needed, so he dropped out and he became a carpenter. Because your grandfather was a carpenter, your dad became a carpenter, and because your dad became a carpenter, he fell off a roof and died, and now you're an orphan. That's how it works, is bad things happen because of choices that were made a long time before you were around, and your job is to take the adversity that is handed to you and make a good life out of it, to be a good person regardless. That is the human struggle, 
that is the test. That is the 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 Christian by uh, I guess I'm trying to think of the right word here, but the end game is you are handed a set of circumstances. They might not be good, but if you persevere, if you do your best to be a good person, you will be rewarded. Maybe not in this life, but at the very least in the next one. And also probably in this one. Um, so that's that's kind of the way the theology works out on it. It's not that God is choosing not to inter- intervene despite being able to. It's that he made a covenant with us at the beginning that if we ate the apple, we'd end up here and we ate the apple. So it's him keeping his word more than anything. So we can just blame our great, 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 great infinity grandparents. (laughs) You can blame them for the circumstances of your birth, but you cannot blame them for what you do with your life. Fair enough. I I think that's a fair way to to look at things. So if that's how it applies to humans, Mm -hmm. then how does it apply to spirits, for for example? So I guess if spirits have the same free will, angels, whatever they may be, Mm -hmm. and I guess if you choose that free will, if you use that free will to turn away from God, now you are a demon. Is a demon Mm -hmm. always a demon? Can a demon... Flip back, you know, if, if a human can be redeemed, can mm-hmm. a demon be redeemed? This is just off the cup questions that I, I'm thinking about while we have this conversation. As far as redemption goes, I don't know. It's actually a very interesting question that I'm probably going to work into. I don't expect you to have the, uh, yeah, the yeah, no, all answers necessarily. We're, uh, but yeah. we're working on a video about demons and about and one about angels as well. So I will definitely work that in. Can demons be redeemed? Um, what I would say about the kind of, you know, how we can, you know, we can turn away, they can turn away. What are the circumstances? In the scripture, what you get is that the punishment for a spirit that turns away from God is significantly worse than a human being. Mm. When you read about hell, there's a lot of fire imagery in Christianity. There's not any of that fire imagery in Judaism. Uh, so in, in my opinion, either I don't think God made a, a, a decision to suddenly start burning people for eternity. Uh, around 1 AD, uh, I think that I, I think that probably Christians were using fiery imagery mm-hmm. to explain the pain of spending an eternity separated from God. Um, and so, human beings, if they choose, and there's there's a there's a variety of opinions on this. Some are that Judgment Day is in the future, and when you die, you go to purgatory uh, if you have sins. Um, some believe that you go straight to heaven if you are if you die in righteousness, which is almost nobody in this circumstance. Uh, others believe that if you die having repented in the grace of Christ, you go directly to heaven. Um, and if you don't, you go directly to hell. And some believe that there is a, you know, both the the paradise of heaven and the fiery pit of hell, and you and you know work your way back to one of them. Uh, for me, the way I read it is that there is no fiery pit for humans. There is simply separation. So if God is good, if God is warmth, if God is light, then being separate from God is cold, dark, and and wanting. You're lonely. It's like being so in solitary hell, confinement, maybe, for a, yeah. an analogy. So to me, I wonder if hell is that, is just being alone away from God, or maybe being alone with other miserable souls who are also constantly feeling that longing to be with their creator. Oh, that does uh, sound and I would, <laughs> it does, but it, and I would like to believe my, the, the version I take, the interpretation I have is that those who die in grace go directly to heaven. Those who die as, as true believers go to heaven. Um, and that if you are a person who has done horrible things throughout your life and continued doing horrible things until the day you died, then you're not a true believer and you're probably going somewhere else. 
I also think that those who don't go directly to heaven do not necessarily go directly to something known as hell. I think that there's probably a a redemptive opportunity there. I think that the Catholic Church would not, and the Orthodox wouldn't be talking about purgatory this whole time if there was no reason to believe in that, as many Protestants don't. Um, so I think that there's a, a an opportunity after death to redeem yourself once again because this is a loving and merciful God, correct? So, but purgatory um, is like extra innings, you know? You get an extra yeah. extra swing or two. Yeah, and think about it. Like, if there's people who, for for most of human history, there were a lot of people, the vast majority of people never had the opportunity to hear the word Christ. And if you follow, like, I, I like Orwell's theory about language, which is if you don't have a word for something, then you can't conceive of it, right? So, how can somebody who's never heard about the single triune God ever get to heaven under the, you have to believe specifically in Jesus Christ to go to heaven? Um, there are the ideas that uh, those who are innocent, those who never hear of it, have a free pass. Um, that almost sounds like the best deal. Just don't, just don't tell me exactly. about this. I'll uh, go do but, whatever. And yeah, but that would imply that Christians then shouldn't. If if our goal, which it, our stated goal, is to save as many people as possible, uh, then that would discourage us from telling other people because they're better off not knowing because then they can't make a decision, right? Um, so I think it's got to be more nuanced. It's got to be based on your actions and there's got to be some degree of after death there, there's got to be a chance for redemption. Um, that's my reading of it. And I'm not going to tell everybody else that that's proper Christianity and that's the way you have to believe in it. I, uh, you know, I've talked about it at length on, on my channels. So, um, if you want to hear more about it, you can go check it out, but I'm not going to proselytize that that is the truth. That's my interpretation. All right, well, maybe we can circle back to what we started touching on in the beginning, uh, the genesis of the of the Lore Lodge and the theory about the uh, national parks and covering up for ancient whatever it may be. So I, I know your thoughts, have, my thoughts have evolved on this whole thing too. Um, I think what I'm still with is there's something to the national parks more than comes yeah. to the parks. I think <laughs> I think we could probably agree on that part. Um, but why don't you sure. just take us a little bit through, a little bit through your sort of how your thoughts evolved on that and like what were some of the key points along the way that made you think differently about it. Sure. So where I started was there's all these people going missing under mysterious circumstances. The national parks don't seem to want to be talking about it. And uh, what's up with that? I uh, started looking into it. And I, I will admit early on, I took David Politis at his word pretty much consistently. Didn't really question it. Just was, you know, following the stories and trying to get a little bit more in depth to solve them. That's where the Lore Lodge started when it came to looking at the missing 401 stuff was all right, well, what's the story? What can we logically deduce may have happened here? Maybe if we look at the weather patterns, maybe maybe that'll tell us something. Oh, well, it happened in this territory and the natives talk about this legendary creature. Is that a possibility? Um, and we started getting comments that were poking holes. And they started giving us sources, links that were poking holes. So I started looking deeper. And what I was finding was... The version of events that David Politis gives, and I'm not going to accuse him of grifting or lying or anything like that. I think that he genuinely believes in what he is is, is saying. Um, but I think there are some things where he missed things, or where, due to his own uh, his own confirmation bias, chose to ignore a detail. I don't think that he's purposefully misleading anybody, but I think there are things where he he got some stuff wrong. And for that, for those that just said, but, and for those not aware, I mean, I, I'm, I'm you and I are both familiar, but not everybody that listens might sure. know exactly David Politis' work and what what is his overall thesis for those that don't know? Sure. So 
David Politis is a retired police detective, um, and he, while researching for a, a Bigfoot organization, he says he was hired by them to find the truth, not to prove the existence of Bigfoot, but to prove to I find evidence for or now. against. Yeah, exactly. You know, but he he says he he had the license to find for or against, and while doing this, he was talking to some park rangers, and a couple of them approached him one night and told him, you know, while off off uh, duty hey, we think something weird is going on with these disappearances and we don't think the Park Service is doing enough to to handle it. And so he started looking into it and he discovered, I think it was at least 1,200 cases of people who went missing or died in national parks under inexplicable circumstances. And he mapped them geographically, uh, identified clusters, basically did the whole police profiling system for a whatever is taking these people, basically. And the sketch artist just came back with Bigfoot, right? <laughs> so he has never said it's Bigfoot. He has never openly said it's Bigfoot. He has done work to prove the existence of Bigfoot. And he has, he has talked about this. And he has involved Bigfoot in one of, his, uh, one of his movies. And this is why it frustrated me when I, in a video that we did that was kind of a meta-analysis of David Politis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's something supernatural responsible for Missing 401 on the Lore Lodge channel if you want to check it out. So in that video, we mentioned that he that he was talking about Bigfoot a lot, and one in one case he involved uh, Ron Moorhead, who is a Bigfoot researcher, a very famous Bigfoot researcher, and his famous Sierra Camp tapes, which have been touted as some of the best evidence of Bigfoot for decades. So <laughs> I, I he involved say, that I mean, in I, a I, missing four one one video. I've heard, well, yeah, that's that's the funny thing about Politis because he never says like this is Bigfoot. He just brings yeah. in, he just does a lot of Bigfoot shit, and then also says. Who knows? Exactly. So it's, it's it's enough that he's sort of putting it out there. But it's funny. I mean, just the fact that you even said, and I'm, I'm someone that, you know, I, I, I have that thing in me, that Fox Mulder that wants to believe in things, but I've just yeah. tried to develop a more discerning mind as, as I've uh, grown older. But like those Sierra tapes, they are interesting. Like the, there are weird noises yeah. and I don't know what they are, but the fact <laughs> that that's the best evidence on itself is is pretty somewhat damning, I think, actually. Yeah. That it's just a weird there, noise. There is... There is apparently a DNA analysis that they argue uh, proves the existence of a non-human uh, hominid, so a non-homo sapiens sapiens hominid uh, out there, at least in the genetic admixture. From what I understand, I, here's the thing. They say this proves the existence of another hominid, and the anti-Bigfoot crowd says this is poorly done. Um, you know, this was not the right methodology or whatever. I'm not a geneticist, so it's hard for me to look into it. I will try. I've been planning to. Um, but there, that's the thing is the, the Sierra camp tapes are, are probably the best evidence I've seen that can't really be argued against because I, I've seen the arguments against it and almost all of them default to audio manipulation or people making those sounds. But again, the the analysis was a normal sized person could not make this sound. It would have to be somebody who was seven and a half feet tall, and there are only like twenty four hundred of those in the entire world. So, what's the likelihood that there was one multiple seven feet tall people out in the Sierra Nevadas at one in the morning in nineteen seventy two or whatever the year it was? Like, what what's the likelihood there and that they decided to prank these guys where these guys hired those people? In my opinion, what those tapes recorded was probably humans in that they were of the genus Homo. Um, 
I mean, so so here's the thing about about North American about the history of North America's population. Up until the last decade or so, there was this theory called Clovis First. What that meant was that the very first people in the on in the North American continent got here about thirteen thousand five hundred years ago. That was called the Clovis culture, and it was based off of the set of uh, of spear points and arrowheads and and other cultural artifacts found in Clovis, New Mexico. If you challenged that, basically from the moment it became doc, uh, dogma until 2011, if you challenged that, you were insane. You were a conspiracy theorist. There was no evidence. You were wrong. Everybody knows the first humans were here 13,500 years ago. And then the thing was, uh, in the 1940s, there was a guy who dated a find in a cave to 25,000 years ago, and he was laughed at. He was, no, no, you're wrong. Um... Last year, a footprint was found with a seed stamped into it. They carbon dated the seed 22,500 years ago. Turns out the guy who said that there were people in that cave 25,000 years ago was right. There were people here 10,000 years earlier than we thought. And then there's the, uh, the, uh, the topper site, which I think is in North Carolina. They were digging down. They found the Clovis lair. And the way the story goes is that... Uh, some of the students asked, well, why don't we ever keep digging when we find the Clovis Lair? And the, the answer was just kind of like, because there's nothing before the Clovis Lair. That's the oldest one. Exactly. Like, uh, And I'm sure that there's going to be some archaeologist out there who's going to argue with me about the way I'm telling this story. But you know what? I have all the, the important details, right? So uh, the important part was they dug past it at Topper, and what they found was evidence and to be fair, it's circumstantial. It is by no means proof positive of humans. But they found evidence, tool marks, uh, what seemed to be humans at work at 50,000 years. And then over in California, there's the Charuti Mastodon site, which is the weakest of these because it basically shows what appear to possibly be tool marks on uh, Mastodon bones. And it's possible they were made by non-human hominids it's possible that they were made uh just by weathering so the trudy mastodon site is one of those things that makes you go hmm but not that makes you revise the paradigm of human history so that one's 120,000 years so we've got concrete evidence for 25,000 years we've got interesting evidence you know enough to follow up for 50,000 and if that 50,000 one proves to show human habitation, it's time to look at the 120,000 year. You know, that's human history in North America. We don't know when we got here. If we don't know when we got here, how the hell do we know we were the only ones here in the first place? Supposedly, Australopithecus is, uh, what, 2 million years ago? We want to say that only 300,000 years ago, people started moving out of Africa. Despite the fact that we've been walking on two legs and using tools for a hell of a lot longer than that, supposedly. So, the way I look at it is, if we have these legends about things that looked like us, that could talk like us, that generally behaved similarly to us way back in prehistory, these ancient tribal legends... Why is it more like, and when we talk about Bigfoot, we're talking about the Sasquatch, of course, which is based off of the Saskets, which was a, uh, 
a, a Coast Salish, I want to say, legend about um, large, hairy people who lived off in the mountains in caves that were like us, but not quite us. And in my opinion, when I think large, hairy, kind of like us thing that lives in the caves, I'm going to think caveman, and I'm going to think maybe there was another species of hominid that got here before us, and the Native Americans encountered them. And that's where these stories came from. You know, we uh, we think that the Neanderthals, the Neanderthals died out uh, 40,000 years ago. And that's, we think, the last other human species to die out before we became the only one. Possibly the Denisovans lasted longer. Uh, I think the Denisovans are about the same time period. But the Denisovans are actually over in Siberia. Which means that there's other humans that are not us right across the Bering Strait from North America. Very possible they got over there. Uh, and just all together, we thought for a long time that the last woolly mammoths died out 10,000 years ago. As it turns out, a population survived in the Bering Sea on an island until 4,000 years ago. Woolly mammoths died out around the time the pyramids were being built. How am I supposed to look at that and look at the stories of the Sasquatch and go, yeah, it's impossible that there was something else in those woods? I'm not telling you it's, you know, the the uh, the Jimlin footage from uh, the 1960s. I'm not telling you that's Bigfoot. I don't think it is. I think that's a guy in a gorilla suit. But I think that these stories are probably based on something. At the very least, a rather, uh, like an exceptionally primitive tribe that lived out in the woods and, you know, didn't build shelters, lived in caves and whatever that the natives knew about. Um, but, you know, when I look at, when I look at all these stories and there's so many Native American legends about stuff that was not us, but that was us, that, that, you know, humanoid creatures out in the woods that had social structure but weren't Native Americans. And they're very clear that these were not us. And then there's some cases where they say strange Indians um, instead of other beings. But uh, that generally seems to mean that they are recognizing that they're people, in my opinion. So do you think that to, to whatever extent there may have been real Bigfoot encounters mm. or mm -hmm. noises, those might just be remnants of some sort of lost sort of humanoid, humanid, hominid creature? Yep, that's that is that is what I wonder at least about the the Native American stories, the stuff from the last century. Um, I'm not so sure. I err. But would that be your thought about the the Sierra tapes as well? That that noise then is that my is thought that... about the Sierra tapes? Yeah, is that that I, that seems to me like either people who have been living off in the mountains for a really long time, or something else entirely, like another species of hominids. Of course, people who have lived out in the mountains for a really long time is the more likely of the two. But I, I don't. I think it's irresponsible to discount the belief that, considering that uh, a a population needs only fifty people to maintain itself. I, uh, you know, when you say people that just lived out, do you mean like literally just like feral versions of regular yeah. people that have just like not been in touch with society for a long time and they maybe we make weird so, noises now? <laughs> are you familiar with the Donner Party? Not really, no. I, it sounds familiar, but I, I can't recount what that is. In in 1846, a uh, emigrant party headed across the Sierra Nevadas towards California yeah. um, got stuck in the mountains. And they were eventually rescued because they were along the Oregon Trail route. But, well, actually, they kind of weren't along the Oregon Trail route, but they were rescued because they managed to get people out to get help. 
Uh, they did end up eating each other for a while there, though, which is not great. We have a video on that coming out on Friday. It's going to be like four hours long. Um, but imagine a situation where those guys aren't found, where they end up really lost in the mountains, but they don't freeze to death. They just get completely lost. This is a time when San Francisco has a population of a thousand people. They get completely lost in the mountains and they live out there alone for generations. 150 years. You run across those people in the year 2000 after, that's probably what, five generations? There's a chance they don't look like you or sound like you. They kind of look like you. They kind of sound like you. But something happened here. There was genetic variation that occurred. Possibly because of inbreeding, possibly because of natural selection. Obviously, over a course of just five generations, not going to be a ton of natural selection. But if the party that survives has five men over six foot and five men under six foot, chances are you're going to have a taller population after a couple of generations just because of the way that mates are selected. So I don't think it's impossible that you've got a small population of settlers who got lost living up there somewhere. Um yeah, so I think there's other possibilities, other opportunities, and especially if it happened even earlier than that. Interesting. So is that is that pretty much where? So as far as the the police stuff, then what do you think is is the? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, obviously. And wait, we're only here for a little bit longer, but um, yeah, just give me give me your basic thoughts on on where he goes wrong and wh- what you think is a more likely explanation for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So there's not. It's actually not as long of an answer as you might expect. David Politis compiled a lot of cases and a lot of them are weird but a lot of them are not weird the way he's suggesting they're weird I uh, some some certainly are don't get me wrong but I uh, Bobby Deza for example that kid was the one who disappeared just one night coming coming home coming back to the the main cabin at camp from fishing on a creek vanished and that a year later his remains were found his skull never was uh, in 2020, in 2019, a Colorado news station sent their team out to go and look at, look into this story. And what they found was, uh, after they published their, their story on it, on the mystery, somebody came forward. It turned out he had a young boy's skull that his father had been given by the priest who ran the camp. Bobby B's skull was never found. Also turns out when they went and interviewed a whole bunch of people from the camp, Bobby B's didn't disappear. Uh, while coming back from fishing. In fact, he ran screaming and crying out of the main lodge after an interaction with one of the counselors. I don't think I need to spell out what happened to Bobby Biza. I think we all know. And there's a lot of stories like that, where when you do the digging, what you find is, "Eh, yeah, this is weird, but there's a much more probable explanation. And uh, for example, like uh, Stephen Kabaki claims he doesn't remember anything. About the year, the the 14 months he spent off the grid. Says he doesn't remember any of it. Was in a fugue state the whole time, basically. Uh, he might remember and he just lied. You know? Uh, we we did a video on him and he offered us an interview, but we weren't allowed to ask him anything about what happened. Uh, what's his story in specifically? That he... Oh, uh, yeah. He, uh, he was out skiing. He walked out onto Lake Michigan when it was frozen over and just vanished from the ice. 
Now, granted, it does not explain how he vanished from the center of the ice without tracks walking backwards, unless you make the assumption that he walked backwards through his own tracks and had planned to disappear the entire time. Um, so, basically, his entire story is only weird if he did not have agency in the events that occurred. If he chose to do this stuff and simply lied about not remembering it, it's completely explicable. And even if he and if he did actually forget the only inexplicable part, if you can explain how he got back to shore, the entire thing is once again not mysterious. He went into a fugue state, he walked back to shore, and he went off somewhere. And he just lived in the wilderness for 14 months or whatever it is? No, no. He was, was in Marathon, Wisconsin at one point. Oh, he was, so he in, was just uh, California. Out doing stuff. Yeah, he was just out traveling the And the he country. claims he's in a fugue state um, that whole time and doesn't remember any of it? Yeah, he claims he doesn't remember any of it. Uh, and I'm not I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he for certain is lying. I'm just saying that if him lying is an explanation for this, it's in the realm of possibility, at least. Exactly. And then there's and then there's the other ones, um, one of which is I, so oh, I'll give you an example of one that has an explanation, but the explanation is unlikely. Garrett Bardsley was on a camping trip, uh, an unsanctioned Boy Scouts camping trip. It was his troop, but it wasn't a Boy Scout organized event. It was just people from his troop dads. Um, and their sons. He was fishing with his dad about 150 yards from camp, and then he went back to get new socks because his got wet, and he never made it back to camp. Just completely disappeared. Nobody saw the kid. Um, the only possible explanation for this is that his father killed him and uh, basically hid the body. But there's no reason to believe the father would do that. He then proceeded to spend most of the next like two years on the mountain searching for his son's body. So... Long after everybody else stopped searching, by the way. He also organized a massive search effort to find his son, which is not the kind of thing you do if you don't want somebody to find the body. Uh, so it seems very unlikely, but there's no other explanation for how Garrett went missing. When there's no possibility, uh, you gotta you gotta start to consider the impossible. Because that's all that's left. And so I think that uh, in many of the missing 401 cases, the answer is that there was an explanation. It was perhaps unlikely, but it was an explanation that could have happened. And David Politis either didn't have a piece of information, like the, the Bobby Bezip case, to his credit, he did not know. The, the skull had not turned up yet when he made his, his stuff about the, the case. Uh, but I think that uh, for the most part, most of the missing 401 cases are not nearly as mysterious as they seem, but I do think he's on to something in that there are some, every now and then, sprinkled in there, maybe one in ten, where I'm really left scratching my head. Uh, one of them would be um, Jim McGrogan, who was skiing in Vail, Colorado, and went off ahead of his group on a trail and just disappeared. Nobody saw him on the trail after he left his friends. There were no tracks leading off of the trail that they did not find the terminal point of the tracks. Uh, there were no, it, there was no explanation for how, for where he left the trail. Uh, he never called for help despite having a cell phone, a backup battery, a GPS, and having service. He never activated his avalanche beacon. Um, and he appeared to have died from a very, very uh, high fall. His body was found at the bottom of a cliff. The bottom of that cliff was, I think, four and a half miles away from where he went missing. In completely the opposite direction, going not the right kind of uphill, uh, 
all the while with the lights of Vail, Colorado, to his right, where they should not have been. They should have been behind him. Um, he also had a GPS, so he should have known that he was in the wrong place. He was heading east when he should have been going north. Like, there's all these weird things about it. Uh, there were no tracks going to where he was found. He just seems to have materialized at the top of this cliff and then jumped off of it. Uh, I have no explanation. I cannot figure anything out, and I will say this much. I have not had a single police department tell me I couldn't that I had to fill out a form to get just their statement on what happened. They all did. They told me no. They said I needed to fill out a form, and I needed to pay a fee, and they would have it to me in like two to four weeks. Just to get a statement. Why do you think that is? From the cops. Um, I think it's because they don't know what happened. I think it's because he fell off that. It's he. He died on that mountain, and they don't know. And you're why. not going to rush to make a statement if you all you're going to say is I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I think they're trying to avoid saying anything more about it because I think they genuinely don't know what happened. And I wonder if the, the federal government told them not to talk about it, um, which might lead back to some thoughts about what might really be going on with the national park thing. Perhaps, exactly. Depending on. So, do you want to? I mean, you know, again, could be could be a long answer, but I, do you want to lay out just your? Just where you're where you are now, necessarily, I guess, on the overall concept. Obviously, it's maybe something that evolves over time. Uh, but I'm just curious where you are now compared to where you were when you first started digging into this. Sure. Yeah. So when I started, it was the National Park Service is hiding the Wendigo, and the Wendigo is responsible for missing four on one. Simple. Easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, at one point, I started considering uh, feral people or this more uh, anthropologically consistent version of Bigfoot. Or uh, dimensional rifts. Maybe people slipped into portals somewhere. The Celts have this concept of the the seed, um, and may maybe that's a, a real thing. Uh, just all of these things that are like the 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 verge of what is science and what is fantasy. You know what is possible without being understood currently. And over time, it evolved more towards there is something weird going on here, but. Whatever it is, it is not nearly at the scale I thought it was. And if the National Park Service is hiding it, it is because they don't understand it either. It's not It's not because they have some sort of malicious objective or, you know, this was some weird containment procedure. I think that, you know, maybe, maybe Teddy Roosevelt did have some ideas about what might be out there. Maybe he did start the Forest Service for that reason. But I think for the most part, we're not dealing with supernatural stuff. Or maybe he's just a commie. <laughs> maybe he's just a commie and thinks and wants to public, you know, the government to own a lot of land. Teddy Roosevelt was, I think, the last great American president. Because <laughs> he was, he was, uh, all of his progressive ideology genuinely came from a place of, I want to make things better and not, I know better. It was, we should conserve. We should have the federal government conserve stuff because if we don't conserve our natural beauty, bad actors will take advantage. It wasn't, the government knows what to do with this. The government should should definitely manage this land. It was, this land is better preserved for the generations to follow if the government says nobody can do anything with it than if we just hope that private collectors do the right thing. And I think, I think he was right. And maybe that. there's a Wendigo there. 
And maybe there's a way to go. <laughs> Great. Well, Aiden, thank you so much uh, for coming on today. I think you're going to stick around. We're going to hop into the smoke-filled room and get a little bit weirder, per se. But until then, I want to strongly encourage people to check out everything you've been doing. I really love uh, the production value, especially on your YouTube channel. You can tell you guys put a lot of effort into this. You're not just slapping out content up there. And I really enjoy uh, the conversational sort of feel of the podcast as well. So I definitely want to encourage my audience to check out everything you're doing. But feel free to give the rundown of everything you've got uh, in the works, however they can find your stuff. They're pretty smart. They can probably Google it, but you know. Sure. So the uh, the place you can find the most stuff is youtube.com slash at the lore lodge. It is the lore lodge channel on YouTube. We also have a Patreon that has some exclusive videos on it. And we have a couple of other channels as well, which are listed right there on the front page. It's the the redacted network. And that is the lore lodge, the weird Bible history, the history hut, um, the lore lounge, which is our like, you know, just kind of shits and giggles podcast and show. Uh, which doesn't have content yet. We're still working on getting it produced. And then we also have my personal channel at the Aiden Mattis. Uh, and that's where you can find me for basically everything. And on Twitter, I'm at Aiden Mattis. Aiden, thanks so much, man. Keep the great work. Thanks for coming on my show. Thank you. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Aiden Mattis of The Lore Lodge, a show I've had the chance to really dive into lately. And I really uh, enjoy Aiden and Aiden's, the two Aiden's approach uh, on their podcast. And like I said, really, they really do put a lot of production uh, into the YouTube channel. So really worth checking out, especially if you're into uh, this kind of subject matter, which I imagine you are if you're listening to the show right now. You know what else you're going to love? The smoke-filled room bonus segment that Aiden and I did. We dug deeper on some weird and wild stuff. I got his thoughts on things like the Skinwalkers, on Mothman, as well as we talked about masonry, uh, because Aiden is actually a Freemason as well. So he actually got into a little bit about uh, the kind of stuff people say about Freemasons, why he's a Freemason, his own perspective on that. And it was pretty interesting, uh, an unexpected part of that conversation. So I want to encourage you to get the full version of these episodes. If you're only listening to this public version, if you're listening on the free feed, my friends, you are missing out. There is another Let's see, one third, one third. There is another 50%, I believe would be the technical uh, way to say that. Again, I'm not a mathematician, my friends. I'm a podcaster. There's a reason for this. Uh, but there is a whole nother show waiting for you as a premium Mark Claire Show subscriber. Just head over to Patreon, uh, Subscribestar, type in Mark Claire Show. You will find it. Or easiest thing to do, head over to markclaire.com, M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. That's where I've got links for everything. Uh, the Patreon, the Subscribestar, any way you want to watch the show. The Rockfin, you can support me there and get access to a bunch of other content creators, guests of the show, past guests of the show like Sam Tripoli, Jay Dyer, Courtney Turner, Brad Binkley. There are just so many great creators over there. So that's another way you can support me as well as a bunch of other creators as well by heading over to Rockfin. I put it all out there for you. I let you decide. I let you decide how to send me money. That, that's how this works, my friends. But I don't just uh, I don't just beg and plead. I give you, uh, hopefully, what is a great product in return. And I put a lot of effort into making those uh, extended premium versions of those shows. If you want to get yourself a free trial, I'll, I will allow that. You can do that in Subscribestar. You can get a one-week free trial uh, if you join up on Subscribestar. So I have no problem with you heading over to Subscribestar, uh, subscribing, and going through the whole archive. And my gosh, if you go through all that stuff and you think it's not worth your eight bucks a month, then my, my by, by all means, keep it, my friends. And we will part. Hopefully not part. You can still listen to the free show. Hopefully not part. Hopefully remain friends. Uh, either way, thank you so much for tuning in. I do appreciate all of your ears each and every week here. Until next time, in case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>